Thanks a million, guys. Uh, Ashling Walsh doesn't really need an introduction, but here's one anyway. I mean, it's two decades of remarkable career success across TV and film. Um, all of the things that we know, like Song for Raggy Boy, multiple projects with BBC, including Fingersmith. Uh, the latest film, Maudie, opened at four theatres in Canada and ended up in 82 and has passed two million in box office there and the New York premiere is in July, correct? Actually, next Monday. Next, next Monday. Okay, it's in next Monday. <laughs> yeah. Tuesday, um, I'm sorry. First of all, you left Dunleary uh, College in 1979 um, and went to the National Film School then. What was your, the impetus for you going to Dunleary in the first place? I wanted to paint, you know, um, and I went, you know, I went there to paint. I was quite young at the time, I was 16 when I went, and I couldn't get into the National College of Art, uh, which was then in Kildare Street, because you had to be 18. And I heard about that little school in Dunleary, which is where I'm from anyway, and they said they'd take me in for a year and see if I was mature enough uh, that I could stay, and, I ended, and that was never mentioned again. And so I thought I wanted to paint. And then we had in the evening, you know, not like this, because the school then had 100 people. Uh, there were, you know, four years, 25 students in each year. So it was quite a small place. Amazing tutors. I mean, some amazing people. But the man who ran the school, a, gentleman, a guy called Trevor Scott, was just extraordinary. And um, we had this, what was called a film appreciation. There were two things that... We sort of had to do because they really weren't interested. They were interested in art and, and people painting and, and, you know, doing sculpture. But we had to pass, you know, we had to get a diploma at the end of it. And some people wanted to go on and, and, and teach because that was a, an avenue for people in those uh, days. So you had to be assessed and therefore you had to do a thesis and, you know, there were various things. So we had a history of art class and we had what was called a film appreciation class one evening a week where you went in, in a room like this and you know we saw films and there was an English guy who um, was a uh, graduate of the London Film School who I don't know how he ended up out in Dunleary but he did and we you know we saw films and four of us I think from that group decided actually maybe we'd like to make a little film they had a little clockwork uh, Bolex camera and so we started to make films and it ended up with this one guy and myself actually sticking at it and mm. so I graduated as a kind of painter-stroke filmmaker in fine art because they sort of didn't really know what else to do. But in my last year, I remember the leaflet. I don't know where I, I, I... We have to kind of forget there's no internet or anything. I found... Um, I must have read about it somewhere, and I wrote to the school in Beaconsfield, and I got this uh, programme back. I remember it was this size red uh, cover and explained, you know, what the course was. And I must have rung them, because I remember my sister was working in London at the time, my older sister, and um, I went to visit the school in Beaconsfield. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And uh, I applied, and for whatever reason, they took me in. Um, and I did three years there. And you went as a filmmaker. It's different now, because uh, it's quite specialised. But you went as a filmmaker, and so in my year, there were people like Nick Park, the animator, um, now, you know, some amazing people, an uh, English director called Bernard Rose has done for... I mean, anybody that's making films, you know, in the UK that probably went there. A lot of amazing directors of photography. Roger Deakins was in the first year at the school there. 
What um, couldn't you believe about the school when you went to visit? Well, it was it had it was like Ardmore. On it had been built originally during the war, just before the war, as a proper film studio like Ealing or like Shepperton. And you know, the government decided in the early seventies that they needed you know, there was a real push for film school and that was the site that they chose because they were no longer kind of making a huge amount of films there. Mm. And it was small, you know, it had two stages and, you know, a little kind of admin office that they used for various sort of classrooms and they decided that was a good place and the industry and the government got together and decided, yeah, actually, England needed that to kind of train people in the industry. Um, Can you remember the first thing that you, like the first time you picked up a camera and shot something in Dunleary, what did you shoot? The shopping centre, the building of the shopping centre. <laughs> yeah. And when um, you went to Beaconsfield, what was the first thing that you started working on? Well, we did various exercises, you know. They, um, so what they do is they divide the year up into groups of, say, five, and you got a little script, and you had to write scenes either side of it. So everybody got a chance to direct, everybody got a chance to write, everybody got a chance to operate a camera, do sound, you got you know, edit. Um, and because the idea was that you're a filmmaker. There wasn't uh, you know, people often ask me, when did you decide you wanted to be a director? I didn't. I was I still see myself as a filmmaker. I don't think it's and so that's what the school did. You know, it uh, people left there as as filmmakers. My idea was when I went because I only went for three, you know, my idea was I'd go there for three years, learn what I could, come back here and make films. Mm -hmm. And so I felt I needed to know a bit about production, a bit about, you know, I thought, well, maybe I have to shoot my own films, better learn a bit about that. You know, and so that's what I did, because you thought maybe you'd end up making your own films. Mm. Did anything happen in the Dunleary Shopping Centre shot or scene, or were you just shooting the shopping centre? Uh, we were. It was the construction of it. You know, I mean, oh, okay. I went back a few times, so it was being built. So, people are here far too too young to remember. But on the going down Marine Road, mm-hmm. there are all these little shops, little cafe and thing, and and they were still there. And I went into the building site to you know just shot kind of construction, and then somehow it was really a documentary, I suppose. And then that developed on to kind of a drama film, you know. And then you kind of started writing. It's just a kind of a process that I suppose it's a bit like painting, you know, you get a kind of, you're deciding what are you going to paint on, canvas or board or whatever it is, and then, you know, you start and then you realise actually you start writing. And it's really only when I went to the film school, because it, it's very often, um, and there are a lot of women in the room tonight, I actually ask a question any time you want if it's relevant. I operated in a world where it was very male, I went to Dunleary, there were five women in my class. I went to the National Film School, there were four women out of 25 in my class. I joined the industry, the television industry, or, you know, the, you know, the first film I made, I was in my late 20s here. Primarily, I would say, 95% male crew. Mm-hmm. Um, same on television. So it's a world that, it's very, di- it's, it's very different now. That's what the industry was, and you didn't think about it maybe in the way that we think about it now. In terms of that, for, like the first feature, Joyriders, right? That was 1988. So within a few years of leaving yeah. 
film school mm-hmm. you you had your first feature out yeah. obviously at that time the landscape of filmmaking and independent filmmaking around is completely different than there's now yeah. funding strands all that kind of stuff how did you go about making that first film was it with friends or I made a film at the because everybody got the chance you made a film at the film school yeah. to graduate with and I made a 40 minute film and what they did they had a kind of a night you know and it was at BAFTA it was you thought wow I've this is kind of rather amazing. And there were two producers there that the film kind of affected me. It was a film actually really about my grandmother, but it was dramatic. It had quite dramatic moments. And there were a lot of people from the industry there. That I mean, amazing people from the industry there that night. And also you've got to think of the school had people on the board of governors at the time, like David Putnam, Alan Parker. I mean, amazing people. So we were known in the industry in England as the Beaconsfield Brats because we came out and everybody thought, uh, you know, that's not how I felt or operated at all, but that's what we were known as. And I, I suppose about a year later, sort of wrote a script, and I knocked on the door of, it's now the BFI, it was then British Screen. And when you don't know any different, it's kind of easy. You know, you knock on the door, you go in and say, listen, have the script, would you read it? I want to make a film. And actually they gave me money to develop it further. There was no Irish money in that film. Um, it came out of Granada Television. They had a film division, from some from the BBC and some from British Screen. And I made it here and edited it in England. And, you know, and so... Was it hard? No. I mean, I realised now it was. Yeah. Then I didn't. You know, as I say, you knock on a door and you go in... <coughs> I mean, it's like when I, I was saying to somebody earlier, I went, and I would have been in my 20s, for uh, an interview f- to the BBC. Uh, they had a, a bit like Play for Today. They weren't called that at the time. They'd kind of moved beyond that. Let's say, you know, they, these one-off kind of 60-minute, 90-minute films, and my agent said to me, you know, go up there and you're going to have an interview with so-and-so, and it's, I'd read the script and everything. And it was the old building, you know, there these sort of circular corridors and I eventually get to, you know, five, six, six, whatever it was, and I knock on the door and you went in, there was an outer office where you know, the uh, production assistant was and then obviously the producer I knock on the door, there was nobody in that part. I go into the next part and the guy turned around and he said, Sorry, Dar, the interview's for Alice in Wonderland are down the corridor <laughs> And I left. And I'm outside and I think you know, I better go back in and actually say who I am. And I went back in and I said, no. He said, no, I said they're down the corner. And I said, no, I'm Ashling. And he was amazed that I was a woman. Because my name in England at that time, it probably still does means male. Um, or, or conjures up. And so I kind of got away with that. I got through the door quite a bit because of that. And you, when... You know, when you kind of believe that you can do something, or you don't think about it very much then I'm not saying it's uh, easy, but it, you don't have that difficulty because you just do it. Up on the, no. yeah. you just do it and you think, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I was amazed they kind of gave us the money to make the film. Mm. And then Granada Films that were, you know, hugely successful at the time bought into it. I never thought, oh, I'm a woman making a film. That didn't, you just were doing it, mm. you know. What was the most useful thing you learned um, in film school and then in making Joyriders? The most important thing I think I learned in film school was from uh, this lovely Scottish filmmaker called Bill Douglas who made, he's very famous for the Bill Douglas trilogy and he came to the school to tutor some of the people 
and I worked with him and he kind of made you believe that you could write or that you kind of had ideas that you could, you know, you could get them down on paper. And, and I still use a lot of what he taught me every, you know, he kind of said when you're, you know, directing scene, think back to the very first moment you wrote it. What did you see in your head? And so I learned a lot from, from him. And on Joyrides, I learned a lot from the producer that I worked with, who's still, 30 years later, a really good friend. It was her first feature film, but she'd worked a lot in the television industry and had come up through the industry. She was a runner. She was, you know, she, her first job was as a runner on What a Lovely War, quite a famous English film. And somehow I kind of learned a lot from her. It's also not to be afraid to ask questions or not to be afraid to say, I can't do it. You know, I've stood on as a young, I mean, I do it today, if, you know, if one had to do it to say, I don't actually quite know how I'm going to do this. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And it's learning how to work with, you know, it is a very collaborative uh, way of working and it's learning to collaborate with, with a lot of people. I never had that thing. A lot of um, young directors that I've worked with or uh, mentored a little bit are terrified of actors. Mm. I never had that because I sat in the pub with them here and you kind of got to know them and you just know. I often say to young filmmakers, you know, all you have to do is say to an actor, what do you think this scene is about? What, what, you know, what... And then that dialogue starts and then suddenly you're off, you know? And it's not... I don't think I ever thought about it very much. I never thought, could I do it, could I not do it? You just did it. And you're still... I mean, I still go out and think, God, I don't know if I can kind of do this or not. Mm-hmm all the time but you kind of have learned the kind of skills to think oh you've just got to get on with it you know I mean I stand on set every time um, it's a kind of thing I do before you maybe you've rehearsed the scene very first time before you turn over because once that camera once you turn over and that board is on you're gone on a train and you'll either get to the end or you won't I kind of often think well you know let's say it's an eight week shoot and think I wonder where I'll be in eight weeks time they've come and fired me will I've you know what I mean what will have happened well I've made a good film like you you know and then you just go and you get on with it and you hope that you know your instinct kicks in or that you're working with similar people which hopefully you will be all of the films I've made I couldn't have made without the people I worked with mm. Can't. Your career started to expand quite quickly then into television. Yeah. Um, we're doing directing The Bill, mm-hmm. for example, um, Dr. Finlay, mm-hmm. stuff like that. How did that thing happen? Because, I mean, now, you know, we're seeing just all the time mm-hmm. film directors jumping mm-hmm. into TV and back mm-hmm. and all that. But, but back then it might have been a little bit more unusual. Very. Yeah. And the school was called, at the time, the National Film School. It's now called the National Film and Television School. Like, they telly to them was you know but I after Joyriders I was developing another project we actually got very close to making the film it's that classic thing of you know you make one film you kind of get away with then it's harder it's like the second album how do I make the second album you know I had two great songs in the first album that got you know and kind of rode that wave for two years now I've got to kind of you know start again it's often harder and I I got very close it was a film in Canada um, I was out in recce's. Anyway, the money disappeared. And I thought, you know, I really... It's going to take me another three years probably to, you know, to get something going. And, and maybe if I went into television, I could kind of learn the craft of directing. I could keep going. I, I always needed the thing to kind of keep making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
the bill trained a lot of directors at the time. There was another girl and myself. We were the only. We were the first two uh, women that they had directing, and I went down, and you know they kind of said, "Oh, you know." I went for an interview and they said, "Oh, you know, don't know." And then, fortunately, a director got ill. They rang me on a Friday and said, "Can you start on a Monday?" And that's how I did that. And I went down to do two episodes. There were it was a half hour show at the time, so you did two episodes back to back. You shot one Monday to Friday. You shot the other one Monday to Friday. You had a couple of weeks prep and a week's edit, and that was it. <coughs> And ha- when I'd finished the first one, the producer came down and he said, oh, you know, you're waiting, they all want to come and see him. Oh, f- I've got to be fired, you know. And he came down and said, would you like to stay on, do another two episodes? Because we have a gap and, you know, and so I stayed and did another two episodes. And then I think I did another two after that. And that show at the time, I remember the night they hit 15 million. Mm. I mean, they, you know, viewers, which was... Now is kind of quite incredible, and then you've got to know, and I and I and I say this particularly if let me insult the two men that are in the room or three men that are in the you know as a woman directing, I think you've got to know. Okay, that's it. Other women joined; they're still there. They went from there to EastEnders to Casualty to the Bell to EastEnders to Casualty, and cannot get out of that cycle. And you've got to say, right, that's it. I learned what I needed to learn there. I worked with the actors I wanted to work with. I got a lot of Irish actors over for uh, one episode. It was kind of good fun. And and move on mm. and do something else. And that producer that I first worked with brought me up to Scotland to do a series called Dr Finley, which I did. Um, half, much more experienced director than me, kicked it off. And I did. he did three episodes and I did three. What do you think it was about how you were working and what you were doing that made them say, do you want to stay on for another two? I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe there was an energy I had, you know. I got along with the act, because it was regular cast, and and the the really lovely thing about it was, you know, there was the the uniform police, the detectives, and then the guest parts, and the guest parts were always a great thing to kind of cast, because you got, you know, really... Most people come and do it, you know. Mm. But I got along really well with that regular cast. And I think um, maybe that. The executive producer who was then, he, he must have been in his 60s. And I didn't know any different either. And I used to drive over from West London to South London. And almost every morning, because I'd get in there like an hour before, I'd be there at like 7 o'clock. Because I thought I'll... Ne- you know, you get this script if you think you've made... You've been to film school and you're making films and suddenly they're saying you've got to make this in five days and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But clearly it can be done because people are doing it, yeah. trying to figure out a way to do it. But I used to pass him, he used to walk from the tube station and I always stopped and rolled the window down and say to Michael, would you like a lift? And inevitably he'd get in. I would go then down to his office with a coffee and sit there. I didn't know that people were going, you mean you went into the executive producer's office? <laughs> I didn't know any different. And so I probably got away with that and, and he liked me and, you know, I suppose maybe also, you know, that had very few women directing. Maybe it, it was partly that as well, you know. Mm. And luck, you know, I was lucky. Let's get on to the writing bit then mm. in terms of Raggy Boy. We might show a clip of Raggy Boy now. Yeah. Uh, I suppose like many people in, in this room remember seeing that film the first mm-hmm. time and the impact that it made, you know, just in, in, in one of those 
rare parts of, of Irish filmmaking that actually was really questioning what, what, what had happened and what was, what was going on. For you, in terms of, of, of you know, that whole filmmaking piece of writing especially, take me to, through the, the genesis of that, the impetus for making it and how it came into being for you. I was asked to help out with a script, actually by Ros Hubbard, Ros and John. They'd met this producer. They were trying to get an application together for the film board, and I kind of helped this um, uh, this producer with the script. And then some months later, he came to me and said, "You know, have you read this book?" And actually, I had. And we talked about writers and how maybe we kind of get it going. You know, you've no money, and I said to him, "You know, why don't we, you know, write a treatment and try and kind of get it going?" And and Patrick Galvin, the uh, writer of the novel and, and and playwright and poet, wrote the first draft. That was sort of the deal to kind of get the you know to get the rights of the book, and then we kind of you know started again and, and wrote the script. And you know sometimes you have the novel, and so you know mm-hmm. it. it um, you I suppose with the novel, the Franklin character isn't isn't the main character. Um, and so we decided, for me, that was kind of important to, uh, to... His story, for me, was really interesting, this layman coming from outside into a situation like this. I have to say, the year before that... And this was... I mean, that took 10 years in development. It was 10 years before we kind of got anywhere near to kind of making the film. In the journey to that place, Alan Maloney, producer, came to me and um, he had a project with the BBC, which... It was about the Magdalene Laundries, um, a film that we did together called Sinners. And um, I made it actually just the year before that, so I'd spent like... T- I ended up spending two years in institutions. Um, and I we made that film down in, in, in Galway. And sometimes what happens is, you know, you've in your mind a film that you want to make and, and it's taken such a long time. I mean, from the moment that we finished the first draft of that script of Raggy to when we turned over was probably 11 years. Oh. And, it, and, 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 you know, various things. You go through various sort of phases of development and, you know, cast on, cast on, you know, where are you going to make it, all of that. But sometimes an opportunity comes along and, and Sinners was... It was a great script written by a lady called Lizzie Mickery, English writer. And I thought, you know, I might never get a chance to do this mm-hmm. or I get a chance to do that, to say something about those laundries and those women and... Um, as a kind of a young girl, we had somebody who lived with us who'd been through uh, that system, and I kind of thought, you know, I made that for her. And so I went on that journey with Alan and Susan, and we went down to Clifton and, and you know, made that film with a lovely uh, bunch of people, and then and then somehow we got that away. Uh, and, you know, very often it's the right moment, you know, it's, it's projects come and go. Everybody in this room probably has, you know, you've various projects going around one will kind of jump ahead and then somehow the moment for it will come right it's usually the combination of people we almost made it the year before but there was 9-11 and so that stopped us for a year then I got Aiden then we kind of started to kind of you know motor forward and we you know um it's only when you're in a in a car driving around the countryside and you're in Ross Gray looking at a school and you're here and there and I actually brought those guys back to Clifton where I made sinners because I thought well you know it's not a bad place and we found this place I remember the day we walked into that place it's and a lot of frack wasn't it uh, no this is in um, Ballyvorney in Cork right. 
and it, it was really um, uh, they weren't Christian brothers but a religious orders teaching place and you just knew that that was sort of the place and then you know the journey to kind of get those kids that took I remember one day in Dublin out in Lansdowne Road seeing 350 kids it was one kid and that boy was Robert Sheen that was sort of a huge journey itself to cast those boys you know mm. and then get everybody around to kind of make it so but it's also in those 10 years that script got better and better and if it's you just found out more things, you know, you researched a bit, you found out a bit more. There's some amazing things in the film that wouldn't have been there ten years before that. Yeah. Because you discovered something. And I remember people would read that script and go, that couldn't have happened, you know. We had a Danish uh, co-producer because we got some money in Denmark. We uh, got some money out of a European fund and, and you know, they go, but that didn't... Really, that happened. Mm. And so, in that respect, I suppose it was quite groundbreaking. I remember the first, the world premiere was in uh, Sundance in 2003. And uh, and you never know, nobody knows anything, you know, really how... I'd shown it to very few people. The film board had obviously seen that sign off in a cut and, you know, whatever. Um, and, we, and we did a lot of the post-production in Denmark, so, you know, people there had seen it. And we showed it at, um, at Sundance and... The idea there is people probably know you introduced the film and then, you know, you can sit through it or not. I didn't. Aidan and myself went to a bar next door and the person looking after us, I said, come for us with 10 minutes to go and we'll, you know, go back. And, um, you know, as the doors open up, the credits actually were rolling up. And, um, you know, quite long. It's quite a long roller and people started to stand up and I thought... They really didn't like it, you know, they're leaving. <laughs> and I didn't mind for myself, but I'm with Aidan. And I thought, really, that role in that film, I thought he was so amazing in it. Yeah. For him, I thought, God, this is a disaster. Um, and then the idea is you walk down, you do a Q&A after the film, and the people were standing up applauding. I actually thought they were, they, they, you know, and they stood up for him, and it was kind of a rather amazing night. And there was one man, I'll never forget him, guy in like the third row stood up and said something I thought if he doesn't stop you know it was quite an emotional kind of moment and then that's that audience and I thought you know yeah maybe it does affect people and then that went on and on and on you know Mm. but we were lucky with that because it got into Sundance you know that could have who knows you know Mm. and uh, so that was I see those two films as a very particular period in my life as a filmmaker you know I'm really proud of that film as I am of sinners, I think they both told part of that story, and I think that's important as a, you know, if you can do that. I'm not a painter, I make films, so I can kind of, you know, I could tell that story. It was hugely important. I mean, Hannah worked on it. You know, I, I don't know what I thought I was making at the time, you know. I knew he was great, I knew the kids were. I had a couple of pals on it, like Ian Glenn, great pal who I'd worked with in the UK, and Mark Warren. You're just trying to, you know, tell the story in the best way that you can, you know. The length of time it took to make it, as you said, 10, 11 years, mm. in some ways that's gratifying because mm. you end up with this amazing piece mm. of work. In another way, it's kind of terrifying because, you know, everybody mm. thinks, crap, it's going to take me 10 or 11 years mm. to make, make something. I mean, what did you learn from that lengthy process? Were you? I mean, there must have been times where you were frustrated or disheartened or thought it wasn't going to yeah. happen. I mean, how do you get through that? Well, I went. To, I go off, you see, in between and do something. I go yeah. off and do telly in between to keep going because 
I, I me, I, and I, I, I'm just talking about me. I have to keep making things, you know. So, and I don't mean anything. And, you know, it's got to be the right thing. Mm. So I remember saying to Alan, funnily enough, no at a point. Um, because it was sort of about to go and everything. And then I had to ring him back a week later and say, actually, I've changed my mind. I actually really would like to do it. I, sometimes, I have to be dragged screaming to something sometimes. <laughs> If it's if I'm uh, if it's not something that I've developed, you know, um, I've got to kind of really find myself in it, and I was really glad I did that mm-hmm. um, because you know there are other things that you kind of chase that don't come your way, you know, that go to somebody else. You just got to believe, you know. My husband used to say to me, "You'll never make that film. You'll never make it, Ash," and you just stick with it. And somehow, when we got Aiden it started to kind of somehow then it kind of gained momentum. I mean, they, you know, the producers on it had it in a bottom drawer and, you know, they'd make various things and they'd say, oh, let's get this out. The poison chalice, they call it. Let's get it out. Have a look <laughs> see, can we kind of give it another go, you know? Um, and then we got this Danish uh, Zentropa who are Lars von Trier, director and, and, and two producers that he was at the Danish film school with, set up a company called Zentropa and they read the script and just wanted to do it and so they've been co-produced on quite a few things of mine ever since mm. um, and they just kind of went for it and so it just it, with the, like the last year of it in development it kind of just took off you know mm. and you knew and you never know on a, on, a, on a movie you know you're in a car and a recce and you think well, at least I got to do the recce <laughs> you know, I had a nice time with these guys, and we got to do the wrecking. God, I saw that great location. I must remember. You know, sometime, until you're out there and you're turning out. I, I remember because we started shooting that without the finance being closed, and I remember the scene I was on, and the moment when Tristan Lynch walked down and said, "We've closed. We can actually pay the crew." another week and we can actually keep going. What scene was it? It was the scene where they're building the crib in the classroom, and. Because up to that point, I thought, I wonder how enough could I have I enough to kind of have a shot enough to kind of pull this film together, and and that's how edgy it can be sometimes, mm. you know. But you just kind of got to somehow believe that you can do it. It had broken my heart actually had I not been able to do it now. When I think about it, mm. same with sinners, same with a lot of the things I've done. You know, I kind of think it would have been a shame. I'm going to talk about casting challenges uh, after the mm-hmm. break because that, that mm-hmm. thing of, of 350 kids and one, or 349 and one Robert Sheehan um, <laughs> be good to talk about. But flipping back to television in a bit, um, let's talk about Fingersmith. Mm-hmm. Obviously hugely successful, mm-hmm. um, you know, BBC, BBC series. How did you get on board for that? Was that in the wake of um, the, the Bill stuff or the... No, I'd worked with... Um, a crime writer called Linda Plant. People know her from Prime Suspect. Mm. She saw something I did. Uh, I made a series out in the on the oil rigs in the North Sea. She saw that it was a BBC series, and she made a series here called The Governor. And she had two directors, two English guys, uh, really experienced directors, and and they brought the delivery date forward. And this is what I mean about luck. All I'm telling you. And they needed a director to do one episode. And David Collins was the exec on it. He said, you know, I think there's anybody who'd be like, nice for us to have somebody here. And they're going, oh, there isn't, you know. And Linda said, I've seen this director's work and maybe we could get her in. She could do one episode. And so I came to do one episode and I ended up doing two. 
I got a lot, I mean, you know, and I worked with Linda for on and off for like probably three or four years after that. I did the thing called Trial and Retribution. Yeah. Did the first two of those. Um, and Sally Head, who was the producer on Fingersmith, had 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 come from, she was the head of drama at Granada when they made Prime Suspect. And Linda and herself, obviously, you know, to, and, you know, they came and asked me if I'd like to do it. Great. Why do you think that a lot of your projects are period pieces? You know, they weren't originally. Mm. <laughs> I did modern, modern, modern. And, and, you know, I always wanted to do Dickens. You'd see these fantastic uh, BBC productions. You think, God, I wish somebody had asked me, you know, to do Dickens. And you'd go for these and say, oh, you're not experienced or, you know, whatever. And, um, and then I went through that whole, you know, suddenly... That's what I started to uh, <coughs> to do. I don't kind of think of them like that, really. Yeah. You kind of sort of think of the project. I mean, the I look back in this now, and you sort of realise that there's a lot of women involved in this project. Sarah Waters, her novels, if people know them, are kind of Lenny is actually making a film, isn't he, of her uh, one of her last novels? And Sally Head, the producer, and do you know what I mean? It was you know and. I, luckily, it's the first time I worked with Sally because Sally plays the other girl, and Elaine, who I adore. And um, sometimes it's just those, th- you know, those things. There's um, it's also detail in, in in period things sometimes that's very attractive, but it just happens to be the way it was really. Mm. Um, I so started you're not necessarily to, seeking them out. Or? No, no, no. A lot of the things I did with Linda were very hard, edgy kind of things, you know. And I went from that to this to. And I wanted to do this so people could see that I could do it. Um, but I love the story, you know, that two, you know, that that halfway point where the story crosses over and it's the two women telling their stories from a different point of view. I think that's the thing that was really attractive about that. And, um, you know, it was, it's, I mean, that's, I don't know, you know, probably 15 years old now. It was quite a big deal at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was a good thing to do and you got to do all of it as was the fashion then that's now kind of come back, you know, because a lot of the... Over the last sort of 10 years, for a director to do six episodes or something really, you know, there was a cheaper way of doing it. It's Mm. now kind of come back uh, to to doing that, these author sort of pieces. And I suppose I sought those things out. I knew if in that serious television, and there's absolutely, you know, nothing wrong with it, and and still, I would say it now, as women directors, you get stuck in that cycle and it's hard to get out of it. And so you've got to kind of go on to the next thing and think, OK, I learned how to do that and I've done it and now I've got to kind of go to the next thing mm-hmm. and, and, and be quite tough on yourself, you know. We're going to take a break in a little bit and then come back and talk about Maudie and, and, and other things. But just on, on this project in particular, you know, really high-profile project... You know, presumably quite a sizable budget, very well watched, very well received. What did you learn from that? I mean, do, sometimes I wonder: is it harder to learn from things from successes rather than failure? Failures, yeah. Failure is not pleasant. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't because you want to kind of do the next thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very well received. It was very well watched and you can I, I can't remember what I'd have to look and see what I did after that and you do it and you kind of move on you know I 
I very rarely watch the things I do after I've done them, you know, for a long time. I haven't watched this since the day I finished, probably since the night it went out. Mm. And you kind of move on to the next thing. You know, I have failed. You know, I feel a lot of the time I was saying to somebody today, I've been out in the wilderness for quite a long time. It's not pleasant. But you somehow got to keep yourself going. So it's, you know, you do that. Everything you do, you do that and think, well, I got away with that. And now maybe I won't ever do. You know, I made Raggy Boy. I said it to somebody today. If I was never asked or never got the opportunity to make another film, at least I made that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. And I went on to, you know, make other things. And I feel the same about Maud. If, no, if I never got the opportunity, at least I did that. Mm. And so it's, it, 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 you know, that's our world. That's the way we um, work, you know. It's the next thing then. You can be lucky. You can be really unlucky. We weren't lucky with Raggy Boys, a movie, in the end. Uh, you know, it's Sundance that night and, you know, there was never, it never opened in America. They never struck, that deal was never done. Uh, but then you kind of go on, that's the history of that film, you know. And, and every film has its journey or every piece of telly has its journey, you know. Mm. I've sat, I think... I think it was actually nominated for BAFTA Award. I, man, have I sat in that room so often, you know, and, and it's always somebody else. I'm always the bridesmaid. <laughs> you know, same with the IFTAs. I'm always the bridesmaid. So I don't think about that. Also, that's not sort of success. The success is in making it and doing it and working with these great people, you know, to get the chance. That's where I met Sally Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And I go back, you understand as a director why you go back to the same actor again and again and again. You know, I've worked with Ian Glenn a lot. I've worked with a lot of the same people because they are fellow travellers with you, you know. I read Maudie, the first name I wrote down was Sally. I thought, listen, you know, I sent her two pictures and I said, this is this, do you want to do it? She said, yes. So... You know, that's what you're trying to kind of find, those people saying, DOP, I worked with this DOP, he did Sinners, he did this, he... I think I worked with him five or six times, mm-hmm. you know, so that's what you're, you know, trying to trying to kind of achieve. And I don't think... Everything is a new challenge, you know. What I won't do... Um, Linda got very upset with me, actually, I did, because I did that, the two episodes of Governor, then she told me the story of Trial and Retribution. I said, God, that'd be kind of amazing to do, and it was quite amazing, and it's, they were great people. And then I did the second one. Then she asked me to do the third one. I said, I can't do it, you know. What am I going to do? Because I'll probably fail. At least I did the first one, thought, got the hang of that. The second one, I can give it something. Mm-hmm. Third one, I can, you know, we didn't speak to each other for five years, <laughs> you know, because she was so pissed off that I didn't do it, you know. And then over the years, there were other things that obviously I wasn't free or couldn't do. I met her actually this year, within the last year, I hadn't seen her for about eight years and I went down to her house, she would come down for lunch. You know, and talk to you about something, it was like as though I saw her five minutes ago. You know, mm. that's the relationship I have with her. So all the time, that's what you're looking for, you know, with, with, uh, with, with people. And I realised that because it's Sarah and it's, you know, they're really uh, interesting. I think the scenes are, uh, I don't know if people know the story of this or not, but the two women fall in love with each other and um, have uh, this amazing affair. So there are, you know, a couple of scenes, I think there are three or four pretty kind of detailed sex scenes in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first one we did and um, Sally had driving down and got the rushes the next day and went, oh my God, they didn't take their clothes. 
clothes off. And you go, no, they didn't actually. Oh, but I mean, you know, Gareth Neem at the BBC is looking for like sexy women with their clothes off. And I said, do you not think it's more amazing if they kept their clothes on? And actually it was. Mm. They kind of got round to that. And I think maybe, I don't know, you know, there are those sort of things that were kind of interesting to do. I think actually a man directing that might have directed quite differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that's what they saw in the making of that. It was interesting because it was written by, it was adapted by a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe that made it a bit of a difference. I have a question just about if you can talk a bit about rejection and how you've dealt with, if you've had it, how you've dealt with it. <laughs> Every day. Uh, you talked about how, the, you know, failures, you didn't like failure, but No, it's really hard, you know, it's, it's, um, you often talk to actors about it quite a lot, you know, that go for endless auditions. And um, you end up not getting the part. Um, and directing is the you know it's the same, um, but it's even worse because if you're you know writing and developing, you're working with a writer and a producer, and you're developing your own stuff, and you know you kind of get a note from the film board, and you get a note from the BFI and Channel Four and BBC. Like where do you go, you know? And it's sometimes the combination. You know, sometimes it's the. I always believe the right people come together to work on something particularly on not necessarily on television I say on film because it's a slightly different kind of beast that the right combination of people end up usually on 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 the film for whatever reason and you know you kind of look at some of these things and you think actually she you know I've continued working but I've I've had huge uh, periods of time where I haven't worked after it's the reason I we might talk about it. I did a Wallander with Kenneth Branagh in 2000 and I think 12. I hadn't worked in British television for eight years. So, I, you know, I had to be dragged screaming. To, I did it because it was Ken Branagh. And I thought it would be rather amazing to work in. But I hadn't worked for eight years before that in, in British television. There were things that came along. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's things pass you by or there's a reason. It's, it's like you always say to an actor... You know, they go in for an audition. There's a reason they don't get the part. It's not that they're not good enough. It's they don't kind of fit maybe the chemistry of the makeup of everything else. And I feel sometimes it's the same. But it is, it, it's hard. And what's very hard is if you make something that there's an expectation of and it, and it doesn't come off because it comes back in you and the producers usually. Um, and that's hard. And I've had that on and off. And you just have to somehow, you know, get over that and, 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 you know, move on and try and, you know, find something um, else to do, you know, and say that was that and now I've got to kind of move on and do something else. I think it's harder for the girls sometimes, maybe directing particularly and, 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 and writing and, you know, the perception of what something's going to be. And if that doesn't happen, I think it's really, you know, it can be quite hard. You just have to keep going, you know. I always think it is a bit like an actor at an audition. You know, you didn't match the mother or the father, so you move on, you know what I mean? You, uh, if you think about it like that, it's not that you're not good enough. It's that you're just the combination isn't right. Yeah. Why did you say you had to be dragged kicking and screaming onto this project? Well, just because you kind of think, yeah, I can't do it, you know. Oh, because you were afraid of the project? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you're thinking... I mean, with that, I hadn't done British television for eight years. It moves on really quickly. Um, it was 
they did three films, you know, and I was in the middle. So it wasn't some, I wasn't starting it off. I had never not done that. And it was Ken, and he is a producer, director, writer, actor. <laughs> he forgets all of that when you're working with him. And he was, you know, he was amazing. So for those sort of reasons, you know, and, and there was, you know, there's huge expectations of something like that, you know. The end of that, which is great, because he won his first BAFTA award acting for that. Um, and so that was, for me, that was, because it's always for me in the end about kind of, you know, the producers and the writer and the actor. And I mean, of course, everybody else, but, you know, that they get, I was really pleased for him that that was sort of, you know, the case. It's, it's just whether you can do it or not. You're in Sweden, you're working with no, I mean, there was nobody on that crew that I knew. So you're saying you momentarily lost your nerve, said I'm not... Not, not my nerve, I just go, you know, I don't know whether I want to do it or not. You kind of have to fall in love with something, you know, and it's when you question that, and then you somehow got to go back and think, how am I going to fall in love with this? I met him. That really helped me figure out that I could probably do it. It's quite lonely as a director when you jump onto something when there is nobody that you've worked with before, nobody. That to navigate your way through that can be, you know, quite tough at times. Um, and you're in a foreign country and there's a couple of givens, you know, that you kind of maybe wouldn't necessarily be your choice. You've got to kind of buy into all of that, you know. And it was in the summer, in August. And I'm not really good after, you know, a day like Saturday here last week. <laughs> you know? I've honestly I've turned things down because I don't think well in that kind of temperature. <laughs> but I and, and then in the end I was really glad I did. You know, it's it's just the it's that moment and then you jump in and then you're then you're fine. You know, it it's always that. If it's not something that you've created, that is a process that I sometimes have to go through, you know. And I've turned down I've said no to a lot of things that actually I may have, you know, I have regretted once or twice. Like? <laughs> like? I'm trying to think of uh, something. Actually, they ended up with a much better person. I'll often, you know, seriously, they, but there's always a reason. I'm trying to think recently what people would know. It'll come to me as, as we're talking. One um, question here? Yeah. Uh, you were saying that in the early days you were aware of a very male environment. Mm. So two questions. The first one is, how did you explain that to yourself, or did you? And the second part of it is, did you become politicised about gender over time, and how do you feel mm. about things now? I didn't think about it, because it's the world I operated in. I Probably how I was brought up, a lot of it to do with my father, never felt that I couldn't do anything, that I, you didn't set your, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't ever a conversation in... You know, my house, I remember at school, you know, people say to you, what do you want to be? You know, they'd be, I want to be a nurse, or I want to be this, and they say to you, what, I, I, I don't think I knew really. And it was very male orientated. I've worked on primary, I go back to rough now, I'm trying to think when I did that 2000, uh, no, the 90s, series set in the North Sea, Liam Cunning was in a lot of male actors, two girls in the cast, two female crew and I remember that distinctly because the women all had cabins of their own and the guys had to share and we were there for eight weeks on this rig in the North Sea making this um, series 
but that's the world it, 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 you know that is, that's the world as I knew it then that it was that industry it was the same I'm sure if you went to the civil service to the bank to the, that was the world I never I knew I was a woman operating it was quite a male world I didn't really think beyond that I then realised an actor actually said to me up in Scotland and the toughest crew I ever worked with was up there um, and she said, you know, we're being paid less than the blokes. As an actor, she was. But you kind of thought, well, that's kind of the way it is, you know. And I kind of kept going because I've always... I've never been kind of very good in groups, and so I kind of operated on my own. I kind of knew that. I got away a lot. I said to you before, you know, they'd see my name, they go, get her, get... Actually, somebody wrote quite recently about Maudie, his film. I thought, wow, that's... The, hey, listen, you know, but that actually worked for me. On occasions, I worked for Linda Plant. She thought it was a guy that had directed, the, you know, uh, the piece that she'd seen. So, and it's only in recent times that I've asked myself that question. There are more women in the film industry in this country than there are in England, than there are in, in, in not Denmark but other places I've worked in, and and people are far more confident than I was when I, you know, started out. And I also got away with I was always an outsider. You know, in England I was an outsider. I couldn't be anything other than Irish. You know, and that took a lot. You think of England in the 80s and stuff. You know, it was quite a tough time for Irish people there. Then they kind of fell in love with us, you know, and and I uh, that sort of worked for me. I never thought about it like that. It's only in the last couple of years that I've thought about it. Do you think you managed to avoid discrimination or even being sidestepped a little even when it wasn't overt discrimination? Did you avoid all that? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. I don't think there um, there probably is jobs I didn't get because they kind of thought we'd go with a bloke. It took me a long time to get experienced. You get back, they kind of say, you know, oh, yeah, we loved her, but she's not experienced enough, she's not experienced. I used to sit at home and go, when am I going to be experienced enough? (laughs) And now I get, she's too experienced, really? She seriously wants to kind of come and do this? And the bit in between was very... You go, oh, that little bit was very tiny. You know, and it is kind of rare still. I've stood in car parks, you know, on a shoot about to start and, and you know, driver come and say, hello, darling, where's the, um, you make up, you go, yeah, actually, I am. You're trying to deliver an actor to thing, you go, yeah, the costume bit is over, they go, thanks, darling. And then they see you and suddenly go, oh, my God, you're the person who's directing. You go, yeah, actually, what's, you know, I've had a lot of that. But I don't take, you know, um, uh, and a lot of, you discover people like Linda LaPlante and a lot of those women writing started to write because they were no, she was an actor originally, a really fabulous actor, and there were no roles for her, and so she started to, to write. And, you know, um, and she will work with women when she can, you know? And there's a reason she wrote Prime Suspect and Widows and all of that. So, but I don't think about it very much, to be honest. I understand it now. I didn't at the time. I didn't, it didn't, it's not something I spent, you know, I don't get up in the morning and think, oh, I'm a woman in this industry. I get up and think, I'm Ashley. I've got to kind of get out there and do something. And you know, I know, for example, if I go for an interview for television, usually you see the names, you know, because they have to kind of sign in and go, oh, fuck, he's here. I'm forgetting this. <laughs> Every time I go for he ends up getting the jits, you know. For, fil- for filmmaker or writer, director, or both, or whatever, when do you think 
is a good time or a bad time to get an agent and what should you be looking for or avoiding? I made, you know, you kind of make the mistake. Um, God, I've been everywhere. There's not an agent. Not, you know, I have been... I got an agent after film school, you know, who was great, who's now a producer. And she... I was with her for about a year and she got pregnant and had a baby. She was quite young at the time and left the business and, you know, then I went to somebody else. You've just got... To, they've got to kind of understand you, you know? They've got to understand when you, and, and this is why when I said drag screaming, you know, sometimes that pushes from the agent to think it's a good thing for you to do or it's in that agency and they want to land somebody on it. They don't want to leave that agency without a director and a DOP and, you know what I mean, as much as they can kind of... And once you know that... And, and it's important when you kind of say you don't... It's more important the, the things that you don't do at a point, you know, because they're always there, you know. And some... It's, you know, when you say no, that an agent understands why you say no. Mm-hmm. And when you say yes, that they'll fight like hell to kind of get you that, you know. There's, there, Maudie was an example of that. You know, I said to them, you've got to get, you know, have, have you wrong, have you wrong, you know, I'm like, you know, you, you know, it's like when you kind of want an actor for something and they're free and you're going, God, you know, I remember on, on with Mark Warren and Raggy, boy, we only had a certain amount of money for that role and the producers were down in Cannes I rang them every half an hour and said, you know, we've got to give him this 20 grand that he want. you know, we were at 15 grand or something and then you kind of said, well, take two grand out of my mind, I want him. And they didn't know... They weren't hugely aware of who he was at the time. Anyway, we eventually got him. And I remember when the first two days he was in quite a few scenes and I remember the producer saying to me, now I understand it, you know, if there's that. And so in a way it's got to be, you've got to want to do it. There's got to be something, uh, you've got to get up in the morning, not be able to sleep at night thinking about it, mm. you know, and then thinking, oh, I can't. I used to lie in bed thinking about Marty going... You know, well, maybe I can't. Well, it'd be good if I had Sally. Because and then maybe if I could, you know, and then thought, no, I can't, you know. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times about being in a cycle of something and, and, and you know, wanting to get out of that or whatever. Um, and that thing about, you know, that worry that people often have about repeating <coughs> yourself. But it's kind of, it's all well and good to say that you know you need to get out of something and do something different but a lot of people have yeah, exactly. the fear yeah. first of all creative fear financial fear yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah. what advice would you give ar- around that it's very hard you know it's one it's you know you kind of get let's say I go back to say the bill which doesn't exist anymore I suppose the equivalent uh, you, know, it, you know I suppose it's things like casualty and stuff like that Women in television have always existed at that level in drama, always. Mm-hmm. But that's it. So now you kind of move on, you want to kind of get to fingersmith and go, well, actually, no, just stay where you are, you're ground doing casualty. And, you know, yeah. and not that there's anything wrong with that, don't get Because you learn so much on those. I mean, the people on the bill were just so kind and decent to me. And you may have two children, you may have a family, your partner may not be working, they may be working, you may have to kind of earn one. And so you stay there longer than you've got. That's, and that's okay, you know. I always say, you need to know why you're standing in the field. And you need to know you're there because you killed to do the project and you're with great people. You're there because they're throwing a hell of a lot of money at you and you're with nice people. Mm-hmm. 
or you're there because you know you've got to kind of and that's okay if you're doing it for money that's okay once you know that that's why you're doing it yeah and that those next two episodes of casualty that you're doing are going to buy you six months to write your script to go downtown and or wherever it is there's nothing wrong with that it's and you're all also kind of getting experience and with women directing it tends to be you know i doubt they ever ask the guys what experience have you got that's always a question that's asked of women and then there is that gap i did a survey it's important to kind of say this for the bbc uh, ben stevenson was the head of drama for a long time you know they're trying to kind of you know get more women involved in you know directing telly and writing for television and stuff and he did the survey and so they selected women writers and women directors so the people like paul mill sally rainwright all of those people they came and ben said go and talk to ashling and this woman came, you know uh came to the house she probably spent about two hours with me and i realized that and and it did come out in the survey that there's a 10 year period for women or so 10 maybe 12 years depending on how many children you have that you're the prime sort of care of those children that 10 years is sort of or or 12 that it's sometimes very difficult for women to work within that period they've young children or they've two or three children together they're at school you know they're you know and you know whoever their partners is maybe you know working and that period does not happen for men generally And then how do you make up for, you know, so then you come out at, let's say you're in your 30s, for example, and then you're now kind of in your late 30s and you're trying to direct and, you know, get back. What do you do about that 10-year kind of gap? Um, and that has been a huge problem in the UK. And the girls I was at film school with that had children that are now, actually one director, she's about to make her first feature film. But then that's okay if you can creatively keep going within that time. But that, that is the thing, that and the confidence of women as young... I'm talking about now at school, you know, what do you want to be? You know, want to be the kind of secretary of the thing, I want to be the nurse. That's what, in my day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I don't want to be that. Mm. So it's finding... Um, it's to get rid of that gap, but also to kind of start off believing that you can do it. And that comes. that's way back to when you're a child you know and if it doesn't happen in your home then it's got to happen at school people go you know it's like saying well i want to be an astronaut fair enough Mm. you mightn't get there but at least you might you know who knows Mm. where you kind of get to it's like you know decide you know those roles in life that primarily you know women are i mean i saw it on our lingus on the way over here Good afternoon. This is your pilot speaking. My name is Julia. Whatever. And they're going. You can hear. Going. Fucking hell. You know. <laughs> seriously. You know. Um, this woman was going to kind of. You know. Flies. But actually, it was the co-pilot who was a bloke who took off like a rocket. Anyway. But I'm just saying those things need to. But it is that gap? And then suddenly, you're 35. You're 40. You're not 25. And you're not. You know. And everybody's saying, well, who's the new thing? You know, who's the new kind of. You know, young kind of twenty-year-old making you know some promo. Who's that? That you know, that's the thing that we kind of have to get over. Yeah, and And it's also you know you write a script, and the main character is a woman like Sally, and you know just the bloke. You kind of say, I've got Sally Hawkins. That's great. Who's playing the bloke? Because that that that's what we'll get. You know, maybe that full way. You know, women tend not to. 
there's probably a handful that would finance a film. Mm. But it's it's to try and find a way to do it. Then it's then you kind of come down to, well, okay, I can't make it for four million quid because I'm not going to get that. Can I make it for, you know, half a million quid with my friends? How can I kind of do it and, and somehow kind of get it out there? You know, people make short films and then they make another short film, then they make another short film. I would say to them, make two short films. You know, you may as well make a feature film yeah. with your mates who are going to help you for two weeks and try and make, you know, long form as opposed to make another short film. Unless that's what you, you know, there are amazing short filmmakers. If that's what you want to do, that's great. But if you want to make, you know, you've got... Because then what they'll say to you is, well, you made kind of five short films, but you haven't done... How can you tell a story over 90 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's to, you know, find a way to... And it's also to find that freedom to kind of do stuff, you know, and that's why you maybe do different things. Some of your features, um, female protagonists, I'm just wondering, have you had trouble casting the male lead when, when he's not the main part? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys start at the beginning, they probably whip down to the... I'm talking about leading actors, you know, unless you're like Ethan Hawke, you know, who, who is an artist as well as an actor who can see that this is a challenge for him and he knows he's going to be in a film with Sally Hawkins. And, and, but there are a lot of actors that, you know, wouldn't do that. If, they, if they're the type of actors who would be reticent to do it, are they the type of actors that you want to work with? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. And, and it's, you know, it's, on, it's also... They are dealing with the how that's going to be perceived. You know, you're a leading actor male in your, say, early 30s. It's like women when, you know, female actors start to play mothers in a film. They're a mother. You know, they're not the kind of young... You know, they're not... They've played a mother, so now that's, you know... And there are, there are actors that, you know, I look at Nicole Kidman who, just because of last week she was on the red carpet in Can Man, I, t- I can't, you know, she was, it's a, an amazing reinvention of her career. You know, that's kind of quite an extraordinary thing to have kind of done. She's 50, you know. Or you look at Helen Mirren who's 70. They're kind of quite rare, but it'll eventually, you know, you just have to hope that that's, you know, going to happen. But it it depends on how you kind of see things. You know, do you want to play a murder and something? Actually, yeah, I'd prefer to do that than, you know, maybe because that's what's interesting to you. And some actors think in a very career-orientated way, others don't. They just take up that kind of challenge because it's interesting. It's interesting who they're going to work with, you know, what the film is about, um, you know, regardless. What's the worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> well, you can't do it. Probably, uh, I don't know. That probably that you, you can't, can't do, do it. it. Yeah. If you were starting out now, what advice would you kind of give to yourself, or so, or what advice would you give to someone else start, starting out? You know, I'd say you know it's whatever you do, make sure. You know, it's it's something that you care passionately about that you want to do, like you kill to do it, because you've got to live with it for a long time. Like ten years down the road, you still got to be in love with it. It's kind of like a bit like a you know a love affair. I often feel you know you start on, on 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 something, and as a director, you kind of have that with an actor as well. If you're spending a lot of time 
with the people. We've all got to kind of fall in love with the project, and and I mean in a in a kind of a good way, creatively. Um, it's very hard if you're, you know, make sure you're with the right people. For me, the most important thing now is who the producer is, because I know who maybe the writer is because I've read their script and we've met. It's who the producer is. They've got to watch my back when, you know, the six execs are kind of going, you know, we hate, you know, whatever it is. Am I going to have, be able to cast who I want? Am I going to be able to... All of those things. It's who the producer is. And then a couple of key people, who the DOP is and who the designer is, and then obviously cast after that, really. In terms of, like, producer, DOP, designer, that kind of stuff, um, when you're kind of building a team, what character traits do you look for within those roles and those people? You kind of, I mean, I now go back to the same people a lot of the time, but you know, maybe, well, you have those restrictions as well. Let's say on your, you know, doing a European co production or Canadian Irish co production, you have to have a certain amount of Canadians, you have to have a certain amount of Irish people on it. Maudie, there, it isn't in cast, they're American, they're English, you know, this, uh, so you have to weigh up what is, you know, important. For me, on 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 Maudie, what was really important, I knew the look of it, you know, mm. the you know who that designer was is going to be really important, and who the DOP was, a young DOP who you know we had two conversations on Skype, and I said to him, why didn't you go and look at some of my stuff, and I look at your stuff, and we'll talk next week. And the first time I met him was outside the museum in Halifax to go in and see the house. You just you kind of know now. I've enough experience to know that. But it's hugely... I've heard it from women again and again. I think, you know, a producer, I think a huge relationship for women directing is who the DOP is. And if... And they tend to be... I don't know if there's... Is there a female director of photography in this country? Well, there is actually one girl I know of. But that's a long road. So it'll probably be... You know, do they... Have they got that sort of sensibility... Do they feel the same about actors as you do? Because that's really important. Um, and can they kind of swing into the way that you want to work? Mm. Some people work in a really, you know, kind of organised way and some people kind of fly with this, you know, depends on, on what you want to do. Can they... I've got so used to now working with a director of photography who operates, I can't... I don't know if I could go back to the other thing, which I did for many years in television... Um, because, you know, things change and that's the way it sort of worked. Um, but it's those people that will... I would never have made this film without the producers, without the DOP and the designer. Mm -hmm. I'm talking on top of those actors. Yeah. I, You know, not where we were. We are in Newfoundland, which is quite a remote place with a very young industry. Um, you know, we had to take chances on people in different departments. You know, you'd never have... You know, the experience I have probably got me through quite a lot of it. Mm. And not to be afraid, you know, of that challenge. I mean, you stand there, you kind of think you're... You know, it's really good to be afraid as well. I actually work really well when I'm kind of afraid of something, but I can, you know, get over that. If I feel I can kind of swing through, it's not very good for me. I'm much better when I kind of have to challenge myself, you know. Mm. But it's people saying you can't do it, you know. It, it's, you know, what would you want to do? I remember 
when I was at art school, I suppose I was about 17, and um, here you joined the industry as um, a general trainee, you know. And I remember knocking on a door on Morehampton Road. I needed two signatures. And the producer came to the door and, you know, somebody told me the number of his house. And um, I'm going back now to 1970-something or other. <laughs> and, and he said, so, you know, it's a general trainee. To, like, what do you think you want to do? And I said, I want to direct. He said, really? Well, I mean, that's never going to happen. <laughs> uh, but I'd sign it for you anyway because he kind of had the kind of bottle to kind of knock on the door mm. Mm. Um, and then I got somebody else to sign it because he'd signed it um, so it's it, that's changed as well you know because it is um, you know the conversation I mean particularly in this country for the last year about women in the industry do we do like in Denmark you know that industry that I because I know that industry quite well. There are a lot of women directors coming out of that country, hugely successful. It shouldn't be, you know, (coughs) Sofia Coppola won, Mm. you know, best director in Cannes. It should be, you know, this is the director. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be 60 years since it happened. Mm. But it is, and I think that'll change, you know. Um, In terms of taking time or space to be much of the aircon on the Gunpack Smell, time and space to be creative and to write and all that kind of stuff like is there a particular setting where you're comfortable writing do you take breaks do you go away no I write in my house I uh, get up in the morning at, I mean I'm in kind of part writing mode at the minute so I get up in my house in London I leave it I go out and have a coffee say seven or half seven for an hour and then I come home because it's like so I'm kind of leaving the house and then I come back and, and you know, I start working. Mm-hmm. Um, and some days you write, you know, amazingly. And other, I'm, you know, I'm very slow. And other days you don't write at all, you know, because it, it just... Um, I started to write originally to make. Um, I never set out to be a writer. So I wrote in order to make... I hadn't the money to pay a writer. I hadn't friends who wanted to kind of write and so I ended up for that reason writing scripts to I don't find I find that I find it difficult mm. I really enjoy it when it's going well but I'm slow you know and uh, um, and as some days you know you've a great week like last week I had two days I thought god it's kind of rather amazing maybe I'm kind of back in a bit of a role now so and I'm sure other writers would say that as well you don't kind of write well every day or something kind of you kind of get to a part of the script, you can't kind of quite solve it. So you've got to kind of move on and, you know, then you go back to the first 15 pages because they're the ones you spend the most time. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, but that's what I do. I have to leave the house and then I can work at home and, and then I've really now got to turn the phone, fo- you know, put the phone down, leave my iPad somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try and have what I call a device-free day where you just sit and do, you know leave the phone but it you know that's been hard for me at the moment because of everything else that's been going on I've never gone away to write no that's not something I would find particularly helpful because it's me and my husband in the house I don't have you know children I don't have that sort of life that I have to get away from Mm -hmm. I can kind of create that space in my own house and occasionally I've done it maybe if I'm on a kind of a last draft of something I have friends who've maybe an office in town I might go in and kind of work at a desk there right it's got easier to kind of for me to do that as time has gone on Mm -hmm. 
you know. And the final question before we throw it out to the floor, you mentioned a couple of times that the Irish context in terms of women making films or television seems to be better now than, than let's say the UK or something like that. Obviously stuff like the film board's commitment to gender parity and funding over the next few years is hugely helpful. Um, you know, how do you view the Irish context in in terms of supporting women television and filmmakers relative to, to other areas right now? Or other jurisdictions? How do I how do you how do you view it in, in relative to other compared to other jurisdictions? It's uh, you know and I understand it, you know, people are in it here and so you're it's <coughs> that's what's sort of relative in the film you know, we have the film board. Mm-hmm. You know, there are you know, lots of countries that actually don't even have that. Now the kind of journey to kind of get through that you know, to get money to develop your script, kind of, you know, go on. I mean that's a whole journey in itself. As a, you know, let's say you've because I don't know where people I was very lucky because I left art school and I left Beaconsfield. I mean, Beaconsfield, when I left there, if you said you were from there, I mean, you were, that was kind of, you were kind of elevated up to kind of a level that, you know, so I don't know where, I suppose there's uh, out in Dunleary, the, the, the film school there and stuff, and people um, kind of, but let's say you don't and, and you decide, you know, you want to make films and to kind of find that information out. I mean, I always think of myself as as a, filmmaker that you need to know all of that stuff how do you write let's say you kind of you need to write a script because you can't get anybody else to write it how do you get that down how do you get that story down so you kind of start off doing that but I'm kind of uh, moving away from from the question really I don't think things are you guys are in in it I'm looking at it from another point of view I don't think it's as bad as other places mm-hmm. There is, you know, if they have it in Denmark, the 50, uh, I can't the lady's name that Anna talked Serna. in, pardon? Anna Thank you. Um, 50-50. So, you know, that's all well and good. To kind of get to that place is kind of a journey in itself. What do we do then when the girls get to 70 and the guys are at 30? What, what happens then? You know, you get to 60 and the guys are, you know, uh, you know, what happens then? Are we... It, I find it quite, you know, quite. It is quite complicated, yeah. and I think the way through it is to say, right, I'm a filmmaker. I'm going to. Of course, the subjects that you're writing about tend to be kind of female oriented because that's the world. You know, they're the stories you want to tell. You want to tell a story about your granny, your, you know, a fucking disaster of a marriage, uh, you know, whatever it might be, a serial killer who's female. You know what? You know, or you want to make a western with. 10 women you know it, it, that's your point of view in the world and that's got to kind of be respected and seen yeah. but you need forward kind of thinking people that are going to do that and you need a lot of actresses in Hollywood now are, are, are kind of pushing that and can see they're setting up their own companies and getting you know women into you know direct uh, films and stuff and it, and, and it well it'll be really slow yeah I mean this is going to take 20 years or 30 years but it's got to start much further back you know with you know women feeling quite confident that they can be a brain surgeon Mm -hmm. or that they can be a filmmaker and there's nothing wrong with that that we're not in entering into a world where you're a minority it's sort of equal uh you know um you know we've had 
two female presidents in this country, for example, we have had, you know, there are things that have been pushed forward. Um, you know, the referendum last year, you know, all of those things are very, you know, and, and it's just sort of keeping going with that. And it's not easy and it will be slow. But it's also as women not to get lost, you know, it is the road less travelled mm-hmm. and it is a lonely road and it is lonely place to be as a director with nobody you know in a hotel in Cardiff in Wales thinking how am I going to get through this thing um, am I the right person for maybe I am fuck we had a really you know fuck we had a really tough day you know whatever it might be mm. you go out and you look at a location you go you know guys and they're going well this is the third fucking place you've been we should make up our mind about it and you go no actually and people I've worked with understand that about me. Yeah. I walk into a play. You walk into this room, somebody said, okay, this is the scene. There's going to be two people here. There's going to be 50 people here. Do you feel you can kind of operate in this room? Yeah, I like that door there. I like that. You've got to kind of feel that you can, you know, that's kind of important for me. It's also understanding what's important for you. Or trusting a, what's important yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, it's hugely important who I cast in something. The most important decision you'll ever make as a director when you start on something is who you cast on it. The beginning and the end of it. You know, you can see design, you can say, you know, I'm not mad about that colour, what do we you know an act that is the beginning and the end of it for me, you know. With the script you know, with the script that you've got. And those journeys, you know, it's it's a slow uh, it's a life's work, you know. Mm-hmm. And we're lucky if you're lucky that you can be doing it at 70 or 80 if you can kind of stand out in the cold for as I say to you you've got to figure out why are you in the field with 65 people that are standing behind you thinking I wish this one would make up our mind about what we're doing here and it's 3 o'clock in the morning you know we've turned over you know like a half an hour ago yeah. um, and it's understanding uh, that and working with, with people that are fellow travellers you know yeah.